Oh God. Hello and welcome to The Game is About Glory. I'm your host Steph and I was uh, just talking to my good friends Gareth and Milo who are with us this evening. Hello chaps. Hi Steph. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I mean just where where do we where do we start? Look, uh, we we we're, we're recording hot and heavy off the uh, off the back of a 1-1 draw at Goodison Park which happened mere, ended mere moments ago. Um, so there's no, no fun metaphors, no fancy fanfares or any of that alliterative bullshit that I usually spray around here. We're just going to get straight into it. I, I, pref- <laughs> Go on. I, pre- I, pref- I prefer these ones, Steph, when we've had a day in between the record, like, watching it to the record. I, and I can watch the game back again and try and find some positives from it rather than. Yes. If we if we'd stopped the game at seventy minutes and uh, and recorded then, I would have been fine. But what I've got is kind of twenty minutes, twenty five minutes, or whatever it was of um, uh, really negative thoughts to to unload over the next hour. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and it is. I mean, as I think we're going to end up discussing, guys, that last twenty twenty five minutes. Anyway, anyway, let's 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 start from the front of the game. You know, my friend saying, "How do you feel about tonight's game?" I felt confident. Uh, I saw the team selection. Look good to me. What did it look like to you? I thought it was exactly. I thought, yeah, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. I mean, it picked itself. There wasn't many options. Whether you brought Larice back in goal for for Forster was about the only choice that you could make, just because of the sheer number of injuries that we had. And I guess if we knew that was going to be the team, then Sean Dice probably knew that was the, going to be the team as well. Um, so when the team was announced on Twitter, I. I put a gif of the radiohead no surprises video you know with the um the diving bell helmet with the water coming up over tom york's face and and i meant that as no surprises but actually maybe the kind of sinking feeling of the water coming up over <laughs> as, as it went on was probably more more apt um you mean I, we're I, getting the I, bends is that what you're saying uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me. it's true um so yeah i mean in terms of selection i mean the big call was larice coming in for forster um and then I suppose the other notable ones were Mundell and Divine being on the bench. I mean, they were on the bench for Forrest you know, a few weeks back. Um, so it's not the first time that's happened. Um, but yeah, Forster, Forster for Larissa was, was really the only surprise or you know, the only question. I think the rest of the side, given the injuries, picked itself. I mean, I have to say, when I saw his name on the team sheet, I was quite happy. He's our club captain. He's a World Cup winner. He's an old pro. You, you, you know, he's. You're looking to him to really like be one of the leaders in, in this in this final well now nine game run in right. I mean, that's I I felt that I I was really nervy about it because I thought that Forster's um, use of the ball at his feet um, had been a positive over the last you know since he's been since he's been in um, for Lloris. And Lloris is a, is a significant step down. And I think we saw that in this game, even from early on. There was unforced errors from him in possession. Um, and it, it could have been costly. And I think Everton were targeting him. I think what you saw was Everton closing him down very, very quickly because they know he needs two touches, you know, one to steady it and one to, to ready the pass. Well, and, we, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll it's, it's just a concern get- for me. We'll certainly get into the dynamics of how it played out, and I think it's going to be really important to do so. He makes some very good points. Let's, if we can, as we did the last time, the last time out, uh, can we break it into two halves? The proverbial game of two halves when we talk about, you know, Stellini and Mason's first game in charge. Yeah, how did we play? Uh, let, let's let's talk about the first half first, and 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 what you both observed. I thought the first half was pretty good, actually. I think. Um... I mean, I've stayed away from social media. I haven't been involved in our chat, so I don't know quite what you guys were saying during the game or, or thinking during the game. I thought um, we were, you know, I th- you know, similar to we saw with with um, Stellini and Mason's games when Conte was off on sick leave. I thought the team looked more comfortable, more rela- more relaxed. They were looking to get the ball forward quicker. Um, you know, yeah, there were periods of the first half where Everton were putting us under pressure, but I thought we were dealing with it pretty comfortably and we were getting the ball forward quicker. I, I think you'd be, I just suppose, I mean, there was a couple of chances that Kane had in the first half that he would, you'd expect him to put away. Um, I thought the early balls out from Dyer and Romero to um, Perisic were causing problems. He put in some nice crosses. Uh, Porro created, you know, had a couple of good chances. There was that lovely, um, uh, full, we nearly had wing back to wing back, didn't we? At the back post with Porro coming in, which was, which was cleared nicely. I th- yeah, I, th- I thought we, we had, had the better of the first half and, and looked all right. 
Mm. I think, I mean, Steph, you spoke about uh, you know, the conversation you had with your Danish mate, didn't you, earlier? I think Milo slightly must have been in Sweden today because I think he's suffering from Stockholm syndrome. Um, <laughs> I mean, if if the bar is set that low that you can take that many positives out of that first half, which I guess I was thoroughly bored during. Um, I mean, for, for, for all that, that we, we, we passed the ball around all right and we restricted Everton to a few chances, we went half an hour without creating a single shot towards the goal not even on the goal so we had 16 minutes suggesting... Kane had that header from the Perisic cross and uh, nothing else in the first half are you suggesting that what Milo saw uh, and has described as a bit of a red herring for those of us who haven't uh, A seen the first half or I saw it and B um, another Scandinavian reference obviously herring nobody uh, no takers no, no, it's no, not no, that no, kind no. of night is it you, you... <laughs> do I get a right to reply I, 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 think, I think there's no way anyone's going to get that stuff <laughs> very good excellent go on yes right to reply um, three two one milo so i mean obviously that's in comparison to what we have been doing that's not uh that's not a benchmark <laughs> that's you know measuring against where we've been and um i don't think yeah i think the problem we've been is we've been you know ponderous and you know scared to do anything with the ball and i think we weren't seeing that i think we were being um you know a bit more um progressive with the ball we're trying to do stuff but I mean obviously the game plan isn't going to change overnight and part of that game plan is still soaking up pressure from the other side and that's going to be a case till the end of the season so yeah I'm looking for I'm looking for jinx of light here rather than (laughs) rather than much else yeah I I I felt that the application of the team was certainly better um I I thought early doors it looked to me like uh Pierre was having uh Pierre in Hoiberg that is was having a slightly off game to me uh from the off um, off, off. I, I, I thought, I thought we responded to two, you know, sustained bursts of Everton pressure very well. We, we, we were move, started to move the ball quicker. We were looking to get into, you know, sp- space faster. I thought Perisic was really on his game tonight. Um, re- re- a couple of really great balls, uh, there in the first half. I thought, you know, everything seemed to be set up quite well without it being particularly thrilling. And, and, and if I was going to be critical, I would say that, you know, Sonny and Harry just they're not they're just not getting into positions that are really helping those who are on the ball especially when you you know no half of football this season for us more than this one this first half has screamed at me if only one of our midfielders was creative I mean you know we were moving the ball faster we were finding spaces and we just didn't have the, the, the technician on the ball in the middle and and it just was screamingly obvious and Sean Dyke you know he knows how to shut us down everyone does yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, given given that Everton lineup, he doesn't have much choice, does he? I mean, it was no. really, really, um, yeah, it was a really meat and two veg lineup from from Everton. And good luck to him. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. no, absolutely. You can you can only do what. Yeah, you, I know you. you know, I know you agree. I know you weren't criticising. Um, I mean, I thought with Perisic, I think as his game as a whole, I thought you know he was a lot better in the first half than the second. The second half, he had to do a lot more mm. defending. He's not very good at defending. He's far better further forwards. Well, um, mm. And you know that's that's what we get with him, isn't it? It's um, yes, you know. I mean, does anyone want any more to say on the first half, or shall we uh, take the halftime break and uh, and 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 move into <laughs> and move into yeah, the I, second? I, I haven't really got anything specifically to say about the first half. For me, it all just merges into into one. Really, I think one thing that I wanted to say, and said, so Milo and I were talking about this immediately beforehand. Um, we're not going to see any drastic changes in the way that the team's set up or it lined up. A, because injuries kind of dictate that they, they can't, but B, because they've been conditioned in such a way that it'd be very difficult to, you know, to play any other way. What I wanted to see though, if there was one change I'd like to see, I'd like to see Sun and, and, and Decky as our wide forwards receiving the ball on the halfway line, not midway inside their own half. And after about 20 minutes, it became obvious that they were still going to be they're there, essentially as auxiliary fullbacks and are going to be receiving the ball in very deep positions. And from that point forward, we were playing against a very poor side. There's no one who plays that number 10 role who can keep the ball moving in advanced areas and and try something a little bit different. And as the game went on, there's just this huge void. You could almost draw a line above Hoiberg and and, and skip diagonally forward on either side with Harry in the middle playing against five players. And that's not the first time that's happened this season. It's it's happened far too often. Yeah, I I mean, I think that's where the... The long diagonals out to either uh, either wing back came into play because when that happened, you were seeing um, our inside forwards get forwards, and there was a number of times where we were seeing the the players get you know the three the three forwards um, attacking on mass with the with the with the wing backs. Um, 
but you're right. If if the wing backs are, are pegged back and we're we're pegged back in our own half, then those release balls are really hard to find. Yeah, you'd be hard pressed to say we created loads of chances in the first half, despite looking faster, despite looking a little more potent from those wider positions, and despite the deliveries being a, a little more accurate. We still weren't really creating what I would consider to be. Uh, an enormous amount of chances, but you know, yeah, I, and and I think that's a bit of a shame because when you look at um, Tarkovsky and uh, and Keane, um, they're decent, I think, six yard box defenders, uh, but neither of them are the the quickest. And um, if you can get them get in behind them and get them turning, then you're going to get chances. No, and, absolutely, and and, yeah, and, absolutely. and and I'm I'm surprised that we didn't see more of that. Um, yeah, yeah. I've taken notes during the game. I've written in 36 minutes, don't bother trying to cross it to score, which is yeah. actually yeah, contradictory because yeah. the best chance we had in the first half was Perisic. But I think that was just because that was a really high quality cross. But other than that, you're playing against Tarkovsky and Keane. Yeah, don't bother trying to get the ball wide and cross it into a crowded six-yard box. It's bread and butter for them. Yeah, well, we approached that half-time. I think, I think we all felt fairly comfortable that this was a game that was in our grasp. I think we all, I'll speak for myself, I felt... That you know, Sean Dyke uh, and his Everton side were certainly going to tire in the second half if we just maintained and could step mm-hmm. it up ten percent. Thought it was fairly going to become a fairly straightforward and routine performance. But this is, of course, because I believed, and I believed. You talked about Sto- uh, Stockholm syndrome, which is pretty interesting, Gareth. I mean, I believed that this team was 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 capable of psychologically moving up another gear if there was a, an opportunity given um and and we'll talk about you know the factors involved and I know that Milo uh, has something to add to that as well which is also equally applicable so you know we come into the second half what what what's what's changed are there any is there anything changing early doors second half what's shifted there what are we seeing what have we noticed I didn't think anything changed. My notes are at 53 minute, poor game between two poor teams. We really hadn't up the ante at all in the second half. I didn't tactically notice anything different. No, I think that's right. I mean, the the, you know, the first significant thing in the second half was Dyer running into, the, into a man and losing the ball in the 46th minute. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I don't think we stepped it up. If anything, I think we were a little poorer in the second half. And then, you know, kind of the ref changed the game didn't he really yeah we're talking about um the the core sending off it says for yeah, for raising a hand to kane i mean it was a i mean he jabbed he jabbed a, a hand in his mm. face i mean it looked to me like it was a, a little rabbit fist yeah. almost i mean it was a straight jab i mean it was actually very fast it was <laughs> boxer fast <laughs> I, Down I, I, I thought the pro- i thought the problem with this was actually how the ref had ref the first half as well he was letting it go yes. and um you know there was there was quite a few particularly from Everton on us, although I'm sure an Everton fan would probably see plenty the other way, but um, that he wasn't doing anything about, wasn't really giving the players protection. I felt that we were getting roughed up and and our play disrupted, which obviously we've seen from Dyche numerous times before. And then when you go to the penalty, Kane, I think it was Damari Gray, he went through the back of and gave a little kick to, and then Decore is responding to that. Um, You mean the sending off? Yeah, the sending off. That's right. So I think yeah. Kane has a nibble at Demore Gray, and then Decore is responding to that, and then it blows up. I, I, I agree, and I think that it was interesting. The first thing I noticed was Sean Dyke going apoplectic on the sidelines, and I'm thinking, well, in a sense, I feel sorry for him because in the first half, Everton were defending with their hands to face. I mean, there were two clear hands and face incidents. One was actually an eye gouge that was, uh, you know, if I remember, Dembele Decky. got like nine games for something like that, and. You looked at Decky's eye. I mean, he's got, he's put his fingers in it. It's like so. I think Kane's obviously thought, you know, fuck this. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna not go down when someone punches me in the face. <laughs> no, I, well, no. I think I think the point with Kane is that he's kicked someone beforehand. So, and that's what Kane got a yellow card for. And yeah. I think you know a player will play to how the ref is refing a game. And I think, Absolutely you know, right. I think, I, th- I think with that, and I think with Romero's yellow card as well, your, your Romero's yellow card uh, wouldn't have got looked at twice. Yeah. Wouldn't, he wouldn't looked at it twice mm. in the first half. And then he's lost control of it a bit. Um, I, I'd and, have been upset if our players hadn't played up to that because, other, because then you're just taking it. I mean, you, you, I agree with you. I agree. Yeah. I mean, there was yeah. the studs on uh, Perisic's ankle as well, wasn't there? Yes. Which was a little bit nasty. It was probably a yellow rather than a red, but um, but nothing got nothing for that. 
Yeah, no. it was Coleman in the first half. There was also no. um, Tarkovsky on Kane on the halfway line in the That's first right. half as well. I mean, from a referee's perspective, you want to try and let the game flow, which I think is what it was David... David Coote, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I think that's what David he was trying Coote. to do. But it, it was a game in really in which neither team were either wanted to or had the ability to let the game flow. So, it's <laughs> <Very laughs> uh, quite well put. Actually, I think it would have been refer- from a refereeing perspective, it would have been a good tactic <laughs> if it had been our two half decent teams out there. But because there weren't, and play was just it was just oh, transition dear. after transition after transition. It was just yeah. a really clunky game, and it was probably one where you've got to take it back to base and think, you know, I'm just going to. Give give a free kick every time anyone goes near anyone and put everyone out their misery here and let them go through the motions but, and wallop free kicks forward but, from 60 yards. But I mean, I do think that Everton were doing it to try and disrupt us and stop and, you know, break mm-hmm. up our pattern of play. Absolutely. And stop us moving the ball forwards. <clears throat> and, yeah. you know, if, if a ref allows that to happen, then the game is going to get scrappy and, and agricultural because that's what he's allowed it to become. Yeah, and and you know I think yeah. that the Everton crowd played their part in that as well. They were mm-hmm. they were uh, sufficiently feral. And again, I, I personally, I mean, I was chuntering and effing and blinding during the game, but I mean, I have no problem with that. I mean, they're a team fighting for their life. Of course, they should, and their fans should turn Goodison Park into an intimidating place. And how much it annoys me that they boo Sunny all the time for something. You know, that's fine. Uh, I mean, I've got a lot of time for I've got a lot of time for Everton Football Club yeah. and for yeah. Everton supporters. Um, but yeah. just as a just as a comment, they're the most pissy f- fans anywhere in the Premier League, and they have been for years. Them when when Stoke were up as well. Yeah. Just how how outraged they are at just the slightest of decision that goes against them. Yeah, I mean, but the perceived good for injustice. It's good for them. They, they, it they, they played it, and they play that stadium, which, by the way, I think is is still just such a, a wonderful place to go. And if you get a chance and haven't been, you should go before they move into whatever they're moving into, if they ever do get to move into Absolutely, it, because yeah. it is uh, it is an experience. Um, so I, I mean, I had no problems about Deitch, Deitch's uh, approach or any of it. You, you know what you're going to get. But as you said, Milo, it is down on it's down to the ref, the, and and it's well said that the, the ref sets the tone in these games. And yeah, I mean, I think we've covered that quite excellently. A ref trying to let a game flow between two sides who weren't quite good enough to enjoy the privilege. That's <laughs> probably what we're uh, surmising there, right? So, um, <clears throat> okay, so we've no no arguments with the sending off. I don't think anybody could have ten men. I mean, the penalty is pretty straightforward too, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Definitely. Yep. You know, Romero's, uh, you know, very, very smart. I mean, we actually got, it wasn't, I mean, it was a lot clearer, I thought, than the one we got given against us, um, uh, at Southampton, but it wasn't entirely different in the terms of he's come from nowhere and, you know, and just got, I don't think, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Keane knew a lot about it, but, um, you know, he's sticking the leg out and he's, he's caught, caught someone. So it's a penalty. I mean, that's just, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and Kane, you know, despite, um, you know everyone's best efforts to put him off. I mean that's a that's a superb penalty. I mean, I, it's probably his best penalty for ages. Can can I suggest a rule change on this? I think when the ref blows points to the spot and blows his whistle, everyone should leave the box and have to go I back agree. to the the positions when you know, the penalty is about yeah. to be taken. Uh, yeah. Because the, there's, I mean, you you had Skippy standing in front of Kane to try and mm. protect him, and mm. so you've got you've actually got a kind of Praetorian guard of players trying to stop the opposition getting to and disrupt you know disrupting mm-hmm. and uh, or kicking up the spot and all this kind of stuff and i think once the whistle's blown re- retreat to the position it's a yellow card offense if you don't do that and you have and i think that for every third player of the opposition that's in the box protesting the penalty they should get a straight red so the first two get a yellow and the third gets a red and if it carries on the next just, two get a yellow and the third gets a red. just a yellow just a yellow for everyone who's doing it and no oh, i just um, like to see more people sent off because we might have been able to see the game out i was trying to be flippant but no I, I, okay to, to give you sorry we're at that stage folks where even my humor is so absolutely abject that nobody can spot it maybe i, I can't mean, you know you pickford <laughs> doing star jumps in front like <laughs> millimeters from kane's face which i mean it's yeah i, th- I think pickford something has to be done yeah he's trying pickford's trying hard for pantomime villain status isn't he because he he was rabbiting off when um when the red card when uh Curry got the red card as well yeah and um but he actually did you catch him afterwards as he walked away from the whole thing i think he was talking with sonny i can't remember but he actually started laughing he actually i think he knows yeah, exactly I, 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 I must admit I, I'm a little bit t- go on <laughs> i well I, you, I know someone who knows him and yeah. i i mean i can't I'm, I can't tell anything about what I've been told about him because I can't afford to be sued by a millionaire footballer. Um, but 
yeah. <laughs> I, I will say that my 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 my, uh, my 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 view in Pickford, I have to admit, was was uh, has been uh, influenced greatly this week by uh, the clip that the Everton social media team put out of him entertaining that lad who had had the very very serious disease and having him down to the club and he's his favourite player. And I just watched how he interacted with him, and I was just like, you know. What a top bloke. Like he just, you know, he's really, mm. really good guy. So I don't know. I'm Sorry. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. But let's get back to being angry, shall we? Let's get back to being pissed off at the world because, uh, well, we don't need to get back to it. It's coming. It's coming because we're one goal up. We're one goal up at Everton against 10 men. <clears throat> now, I'll ask you each one sentence before we continue the discussion. One sentence answer. What were you hoping would happen next after we went one goal up? I was hoping we would control the game, have lots of possession. It, it would be the ball would be near the Everton goal for the remaining twenty-three minutes, and we'd win at least one nil. Yeah, I was hoping that Everton would have to create space in order to try and um, you know try, try and snatch them from the game, and and we'd take advantage and and pummel them. And, yeah, you, I you was know, hoping and, and, and comfortable it ends up being comfortable enough that uh, Divine and Mundell get to make their debuts, and you know, yeah. or your Premier League debuts, and. We all have a we have a nice happy record record tonight, and the mm. listeners are flocking here to listen to it first thing tomorrow tomorrow morning, rather than you know, yeah sitting they in their will pod anyway. Play, sitting their pod player thinking, oh god, I'm not sure I want to go through that again. <laughs> no, no, they will because they're getting a tour of Scandinavia thanks to us, and uh, uh, amongst other things, uh, we'll, 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 they'll be they'll be with us. That that I, they they will be more consistent uh, than you know than maybe we were in this second half. Although having said that, I was hoping for everything that both of you have said, but in a sense, we were extremely consistent with how our second halves have been um, for for too long now. Uh, and, you know, the, the notes here say we dropped off a lot after the goal, which is absolutely accurate. Why do you think that was? Holy smokes. Okay, now now we get going. So who wants to start there? Because I'm sure we've all got a lot to say. Um, I mean, I think I don't think there's anything particularly different about this game. And, you know, I've said about... Um, our fitness for you know quite a few months now and you know we can't play our game for 90 minutes we haven't done it I think we've maybe done it once all season um, so if we start brightly or start you know with energy then we drop off for the final 20 minutes if we sit out the first half and try and make it a 45 minute game then we can play for 45 minutes but that's that seems to be our limit and I just think our conditioning is off I think there's other you know I think there's other factors there I think um you know obviously confidence is low um I think when things are bad we just look panicky um but you know and in terms of that kind of getting panicky and dropping back and and creating creating issues goes back a lot longer than this season or a lot longer than Conte you know that was a, a feature of Mourinho's time wasn't it where we'd ha- we'd start brightly snatch a goal and then try and see out a goal you know 1-0 lead and get progressively deeper and deeper and deeper and it was just it was horrible um and we just don't seem to be able to shake it <clears throat> I I know that Stellini is a relative novice to this as is Ryan Mason but I would have thought in the history of Tottenham Hotspur in the Premier League that, that must, those must have been the worst two substitutions that any manager has ever made in terms of trying to have a positive impact on the game. So Longley gets a yellow card and I don't think for any reason other than that he gets substituted, of which there's some kind of some logic to, I guess. Um, but to then put Sanchez on, on the left-hand side, anyone who's seen Davinson Sanchez play anywhere across a back three or a back four knows that the worst place for him to be is on the left of a back three. Every team that we play against, once they see him playing in that position in particular, knows where to put the pressure on and knows that the ball's going to come back to him pretty quickly. And you can bet that our players know that as well. So he was virtually going on with a yellow card because it hamstrung us so much. If you're going to put him on anywhere, you put him on the right side of the three. Possibly you even move Dyer across to the to the left-hand side to accommodate Sanchez just to try and avoid Longley getting the second yellow card. And then Lucas Moore is the second substitute who's done nothing for us in, in, in three seasons. It was, they were terrible, terrible substitutions. I, I just found myself... Uh, in the 10 minutes after the final whistle, uh, questioning my own expectations versus the reality that we see. I mean, I, I very much, the fitness is one thing and I agree with you, Milo, but uh, as you both know, I think that this has become a deeply psychological issue. You know, we're 1-0 up against a team that's inferior uh, to us and we have the quality, yet we seem to um, be unable 
to, as a football club, take advantage of that. And that does, you know, the coaches are involved as well. I mean, you know, the substitutions are involved as well. I mean, that Lucas, I could see Lucas be coming on in that moment because you look for the break. But really, we shouldn't be playing football that requires someone to be on the break. We should be playing more front foot and we should be put, we shouldn't be, you know, dropping back. I think the fitness thing is definitely an issue for, in terms of dropping back. Um, but the, the, the attitude, uh, just seems to me the stick or twist, the shadow stick or twist at our football club when we go a goal up, it, 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 it one swallow doesn't make a summer. It's, it's still there. It, it's not gone away. It's not going to go away for a while. We, we need, it made me think we need a systemic shift everywhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, mean I think, I, I think, I think part of that is actually clearing out a lot of those players. I think, yeah. um, you know, I think a lot of the, those players who've been here for a while need to go. And, um, you know, it's going to be difficult to do all of that this summer, but I think within the next kind of three windows, all of them need to go. Yeah. I mean, and, can I ask, sorry, can on. I ask you both a question? I, I, I don't know if you had this feeling in the second half and like, we, we can argue whether Sonny should have been pushed up as, uh, in a two with, with Kane and we should switch from major, whatever. We can have those conversations, but it just looks to me that in order for us to really like make an impression, we need, we need speed. We need much more speed than this team has now. This team is is pretty slow, and he's playing a, and he's playing a system that requires you know lightning efficiency and and and, and dynamics, and we don't have it. That just yeah. screamed at me today, and I think a lot of our lack of confidence comes from that. We know mm. that I the mean, system doesn't I think, have the legs. I mean, if you move to a three-five-two, for instance, and had Sun and Kane up top, and you had an extra midfielder, that would give, say, Porro, for instance. Um, the option of going forwards because you've got an extra midfielder who can cover him, yeah. and you're not particular. You know, you're not going to lose your your shape so much. And um, and you know, Poro's got pace and and is a threat getting forwards. I think probably he was our most effective attacking player yeah, today. Yeah. Um, and probably our second most effective was probably Romero, which is say, you know saying a lot. <laughs> so um, I think that's one option. You know, we have seen it from the from uh, you know if if we're if we're still classing this as the kind of Conte era I'm not quite sure you know but you know we're not noticeably a different team mm, it's the Conte um, fumes era isn't it yeah 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 um you know it's something we've seen but not not this season uh but I mean, that would be a way of seeing it out if you wanted to bring on either Danjuma or Mora they could both play up top alongside Kane that would be an option um and you know you could have the option I mean it's not something we've seen but I mean I think that Kulosevsky would be an option in midfield, but the you know, simpler option is to bring Saar on and have Saar, Hoybier and, and Skip. It's not pretty, but um, mm. it, it you know it, there's options there, and you know if you can get um, Perisic and and Poro forwards and you know supporting the two strikers, it might be an option. I, I think it. I don't know if any this crossed anyone's mind. I mean, I'm, I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, you know, Divine is on the bench. I mean, you know, if that was Jurgen Klopp and he's in that situation, he might well think of giving a player of that di- dynamicism, if that's a word, dynamicism, a, 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 a chance with 15, 20 minutes to go. Like, bring him in, change that shape, go to three, five. Let's, let's see what can if, happen. If he was coming in, he you're not going to play him in central midfield in this game. I mean, he's, he's playing predominantly as a number 10 for the, uh, for the under 21s. Uh, the, the most natural position to bring him into the side would be in place of Decky, um, which, you know, I, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure you're likely to do that in that game state. Um, yeah. But, you, 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 but you probably yeah. talk about the difference between what should have happened and what could have happened. Mm. So you, you asked the question, how do you, yes. you want the game to pan out? I wanted the game to pan out with on about 86 minutes, the camera cuts to one of the top tiers of Goodison Park with fans streaming out because they're three nil down mm. to the Spurs fans. Oh, laying every pass and Alfie Devine getting <laughs> yeah, 15 yeah, touches yeah. of the ball in the last couple of minutes. That's what should have happened. A team that's aspiring I, I, to be in the Champions League next season yeah, against and, a team and, who's scored 22 is, goals all season. And this is what I'm asking both of you. And I, I just wonder if maybe it's just me and it might just be me, but I looked at that and I'm thinking, you know, you see this team getting dragged further and further back, but deeper and deeper, whether it's by themselves yeah. or whatever. And you're thinking, shift the dynamic, and, and make I think, a dynamic shift in this side. And I think the issue with Sanchez coming on is, I mean, what Sanchez is good at is if you're pushed up, you need pace to get back. He's, he's okay at that. He's you know, reasonably quick. He's pretty good. If you're under aerial bombardment, and you just want to head them out. You know, th- those are the two things he's good at. He's poor on the ball. And what you've then got is in a back four of 
Dyer, Romero, Sanchez, and Lloris. You've got Lloris, two of them, Lloris and, and Sanchez, need two touches to make a simple pass. Oh, and it's, with yeah. the t- with the it's team shocking. that are coming on to, with the team that are coming on to you, and you still want to try and play it out. That's a real problem. Oh, it's shocking. I mean, that, that moment, and we talked about it just before we came on air here, there was that moment where Lloris played the ball into Romero when he was literally mm. pinned by, I think, two men I think on him. it was... Two men on him. Two, two men, men on him. And, yeah. I mean, just ridiculous. And then there were passes. They kept the, they get an out ball, and then they play it back inside to Lloris. I, I, I just, I, yeah. you know, this to well, me, just, I'd, I'd love a coach to explain why we persist in trying to play the ball out from the back in these moments when it's clear that we do not have the players to do it. And if we do have the players to do it, they're not showing it. So either way you equalise it out, we don't have the players to do it. So why do we do it? No, I mean, what's scary for me is you can say that there's lots of injuries at the moment, but of that starting 11, the only player, injured player who you'd put in that 11 is Ben Tanker. Is there anyone else who wasn't available today? Ben Davis. Ben Davis and Perisic. Davis for Perisic? Yeah. yeah, I mean, but he's, I a, he's, a, he's a stopgap wing back, isn't it? It's I mean, I, I would, I'd be picking Richarlison over Sun as well, but um, yeah, but then, but but not for Richarlison to receive in the ball thirty yards inside his own half with his back. Absolutely to right. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're so we at this point, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, Lucas has everything's come on. fucked, isn't it? Tactics are fucked. Players, it's are just fucked. strange. It's strange, and it really feels like it felt on like eighty minutes. It felt like okay. Let's just hang on now. We've gone past the stage of actually gripping the game, taking it by the scruff of the neck and like bringing it, bringing it to what should have been its natural conclusion. Okay, we're going to try and grind this out. Let's just grind it out effectively. But you could, I mean, did you, I know about you, I sensed growing fear and paralysis and we know what's going to happen next. Now, look, supporters, whatever, people can say what they want. I don't expect to see that in our players. Mm. I really I try not to be too drawn in by the colour commentators in what no, they're I saying. Don't listen. Um, we had Stephen we... Warnock, who's a pillock. I don't no, you don't like him. Yeah, we, oh, well, we he's had... an absolute turd. Really, I mean, just awful. Yeah, mm. we had um, we had Don Goodman, who gets a rare call up actually to Premier League. You usually find him on Sky doing doing Championship games. I was quite like Don Goodman, but he was really lamenting. Spurs and he picked up on it about five minutes after we did go ahead he's saying I'm just shocked at what I'm seeing I'm shocked that Spurs are playing so so passive there might be a bit of hyperbole about that but maybe genuinely he probably didn't see Spurs play very often and he's thinking this is the team who I'm expecting to be the fourth best team in the Premier League who have just got totally passive against a a team fourth from bottom with a man advantage I thought he was awful throughout he clearly hadn't watched us very often and didn't know a lot of the players I think Porro he was judging him off the Leicester game and not much else, and he kept calling us hot spurs as well. Which means so you wouldn't I, bring you, you wouldn't bring Don Goodman in as a, as a passing disre- centre disre- back then. For disregard us, any, <laughs> disregard anything he says at that point. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, but, I, I he, have to confess, he, I don't is, actually know who is Don Goodman. I, I actually have to confess, I don't know who he is. Don Goodman I had a very good career in the I can say the lower leagues, but I can say for Wolves since sort of the mid nineties, mm. he's made mostly made a career for himself as a pundit. On the on the championship games. Well, apologies to Don uh, Goodman. Now I know who you are. Maybe I won't work probably, so hard to know probably more. Trying to get, probably trying to get a look at Everton ahead of next season. <laughs> Quite possibly, <laughs> a bit, yeah, a bit yeah, of yeah. research. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so well, I mean, look, in in the midst, I think I think we're all making some pretty fair points. Uh, let's let's look at this this equaliser. Um, again, I, I heard both of you talking about this as I as I uh, you know. Uh, tuned into the studio to record um that you know we're, we're a team that seems to enjoy uh giving other players an opportunity to to hit a worldie against us i mean we, we i mean we've probably got a really nice uh what we've had got a nice half dozen uh worldies against us this season something like that you know um that we having i think certainly shots from distance we've seen quite a lot and quite a lot where um our players set themselves early rather than close down the angle you know close down the ball and try and make it more difficult and Sanchez was very very quick to kind of turn and set which was similar to Perisic did one didn't he at um I can't remember who that was that was that was that Arsenal can't remember now but yeah it's it's a feature and I just if you get closer to the ball you make it more difficult I mean imagine mm. you know Imagine you're Pickford and there's a penalty. That's that's the attitude I want to see from our defenders when, when a player's got come, the ball on the edge of the box. Come flying out doing star jumps. I, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, especially given who's on the ball. I mean, it's Keane. It's not Robbie Keane. 
it's not even Roy Keane. It's Michael Keane, who, in, with the greatest of respect, you know, does not really usually know where the goal is. Fair play. Oh, yeah. Lovely shot. But, my word, I've looked at that replay several times. We didn't half make it easy for him. And I, I'm, I, my first response was lazy, lazy, lazy defending. Um, is it laziness? Is it a lack of concentration? Is it nerves? Is it all of it? Because this is happening too many times. Hmm. It's, I don't know. It's the, it's the, um, I think it's the kit design. It's that magnet that they've got in their numbering this year that, that pulls them closer to their own goalposts towards the end of games. And you can, we can go down the road of saying, well, you know, 99 times out of 100, that goes in the top tier of the Gladys stand. But we seem determined to give these players 100 efforts to get that. Marlon, as you were coming on, we were, we were saying that the only way Everton were going to get back into that was a strike like that from 30 yards or it was going to be from a set piece. So mm-hmm. to them, it was then criminal that we decided just to camp in our own final third for the final 22 minutes of the game. And, and if you are yeah. going to do that, be quick out to second balls. Yes, you know, it, you very know, true. It, and and uh, course, Absolutely. Yes, and that's that's absolutely. been an issue all season, and yes. yeah, I think you know both Dyer and Sanchez should have should have been able to get closer. Larice didn't even move for it. He um, just did so. nothing. And I was thinking that actually, when we talked about Forster, that is actually the sort of thing that Forster's been clipping and tipping around the corner mm-hmm. this season. So uh, the, you know, it was in the perfect height for Forster to launch out. I mean, you know, hindsight is perfect, right? I was before the game, I was delighted to see Hugo back in goal because he's our skipper. So there you go. I'm not going to say that. You know, Forster would have saved it. Would have won. And in fairness, I have to be blunt: we didn't deserve three points tonight. That's no. that's the galling truth of this. We didn't deserve it. And we're looking at we're looking at this goal, and we're trying to break down how it comes. And you've both made the very very good point that this is this is not just one moment. This is twenty twenty five minutes, and and that's really what I think we all have to remember: is it twenty twenty five minutes of this? I mean, it really isn't good enough. Mm. And perhaps we're guilty of expecting too much too soon. Because they're patently not. The one thing the one thing we've skipped over is the Lucas Red, which happened before this. Yeah, but but bring bring us through. I I, I, but bring us through. I mean, I I, yeah. I mean, is it just a a player who isn't isn't match fit, who isn't up to pace of the game? He's trying to overcompensate, probably for the fact he hasn't had much game time and is very enthusiastic. Um, I mean, he gives the ball away in the first first place. The ball comes over and he tries this really gormless flick on that's about 15 yards short of where it needed to go. And then from the loose ball, because again, it was just transition after transition after transition, because actually Michael Keane um, part, traps the ball like he's passing it, um, gave Lucas the opportunity to go in and he gets there about a second too late. So yeah, no doubt that the only action the referee could take was a was a red card I actually thought he did quite well to spot it that tends to be the sort of incident that a referee gives a yellow card for and then gets asked to look at it on VAR but I thought he was yeah, yeah. he was he was absolutely correct to you know to give it and then having given up the um, momentum Everton are now going into their last two minutes plus stoppage time suddenly 10 v 10 in a game that they should have been well out of sight for it, it occurred to me that it could well be his last action in a Spurs shirt yeah, well, he won't play against Brighton, Bournemouth, so take, or Newcastle, and so they're not going to bring him back in, are they, for United or Liverpool? Take, takes him back to, yeah, down to six games, doesn't it, after that? So, yeah. And then Richarlison, there's a fair chance Richarlison's back by then. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, I mean it, was, yeah. it was a rush of blood to the head. I mean, whatever you want to call it, it was a terrible challenge. I mean, really, really a poor poor and stupid and, and, and irrational and just, just uh, sort of somewhat symptomatic of our lack of uh, focus. Unable yeah. to control ourselves in and, and ease through important moments, um, but you know, and, yeah. and he he came and he went, and uh, yeah, that you know, what you just said, Milo. Um, <clears throat> one of the San Francisco Spurs hands also had said the same. This might be his last motion for us in the Spurs shirt. I think I'll choose to remember Ajax rather than uh, Goodison Park. If that's <laughs> all the same, and it plays out that way. Um, I suppose we should, you know, at this point, uh, ask what we think of Everton. I mean, they're fighting for their lives. Uh, I think we're all actually, um, you know, I think I speak for us when I say we're fans of Sean Dyke to a degree. We may not like necessarily what he does, but he's an, he's honest. and He'll and, keep them know, up. They'll finish 16th. Yeah. Yeah. And you won't be unhappy, um, right? I won't be unhappy. Not at all. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's very good at what he does. And yes. um, he's very good at getting something out of, you know, any other manager would struggle to get something out of that eleven he had out there today. Um, mm. I doubt if they go down, there'll be a rush. Uh, Premier League clubs trying to sign 
you know, many of those players and, you know, Pickford obviously would, would be taken up, but there's, there's a lot of players there that look like championship players to me. Um, yeah. and there's, yeah, not a lot of quality, you know, they didn't have a striker. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. Everton are a club I've got a lot of time for. Um, but in the last, what decade I so they've just resembled a man who's curiously jumping on a trapdoor to see if it falls from underneath him every season, aren't mm. they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, 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 you, you know, you said something there about the false nine. Or they don't have a striker, uh, Milo. I mean, it just really puts into um, puts into focus that we allowed ourselves to get dragged back against ten men, uh, none of which were uh, none of which yeah. were actually yeah. Yeah. a formal striker. And yet yeah. we decided that, you know, somewhere in our minds, we made the decision to get sit deeper and deeper against them. And whether that's physical or mental, a combination of both, which is probably the truth, you know, it leads us to um, the closing thoughts for this game. Because my word, if we go on and on anymore, uh, <laughs> I don't know where we'll end up. But uh, one positive and one negative in 30 seconds. Um, get your, get your, get your happy, clappy hands on Gareth, because I'm going to you first. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the, the the positive is that it probably upset a few West Ham fans at the end to see that Everton got a point and get a bit closer to them. Um, the, 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 the negative is that it keeps us in the race for the top four. And I mean that as a negative because for the third game in a row, it's simply kicking the can down the road. And it's all the you know the hope that kills you. But I am thoroughly oh, the opposite of enjoy. Um, watching Spurs at the moment is thoroughly unenjoyable. Um, and watching them with any hope that this is going to turn into a top four campaign again um, is it, it would almost be better if we were in, in ninth place at the moment and we could just see the season out. The negative is that there's this constant hope that we're going to finish fourth and things are going to start clicking. I, I mean, I think you're forgetting about how bad everyone else in the race for the top four is, you know, other than probably Newcastle and the and the top two. Um, that you know, everyone's falling over themselves not not to finish fourth. Mm. Um, so I think the positive is probably one game closer to the end of the season, one clo- one game closer to having a manager, and you know, one game closer to hopefully having a an approach that's more in keeping with with our traditions and and what we want to see. And you know, one game closer to a clear out of a load of players that we desperately need to leave the club. Um, but yeah, I think I'd, I'd like us to finish top four. I'd like us to be playing Champions League football. But um, I, I also can't wait for this season to be over and, and hopefully, you know, a much needed reset to happen. I focusing strictly on the match for a moment. I think my one positive was the way that we uh, seemed to negotiate the first half and did seem to play quicker in, in two or three passages and did seem to, uh, you know, be, be very competent in dampening um, the enthusiasm of a side physically fighting very hard and not getting cautioned uh, for their lives um, who didn't have a, a, you know, who were playing a false nine. But look, I mean, the, the, the negatives are that I just, what it, the negative for me, the biggest one was I just sat there and it just made me completely reevaluate my short term hope and optimism versus the long term realism. And the long term realism is that this club needs a root and branch change, it needs a shift. You know, we need to build mm-hmm. from the bottom again. We can go on about parts and we can go on about what we did wrong, that, whatever. It needs to, we need to do it again. And that, that's frightening because I look at the top four, the top four, I look at the teams around us, they're spending billions and billions or whatever. You know, this is not an easy job. And this next managerial appointment is so important. And I'm just afraid that Daniel Levy is going to keep trying to find the short term boost that scares me i would rather i don't know who i don't know much about arnest slot or whatever but i don't if i i would like to see some progression and so and i think in my mind i've formally given up caring about whether we get top four this season if the payoff is that we get the root and branch what scares me is we may not get top four and we may not get the root and branch we want that's scary that was a negative that hit me and i'm not used to being hit by double negatives like that so Hopefully tomorrow I'll be a little more cheerful, but that that's where my head went. Yeah. Anyway, well, let's move on to something that will cheer you up a bit, Steph. Should we go on to the, the week that was? <laughs> let's indeed do that. <laughs> shall, I, shall I kick us off? You could take. You the second should. One. I think, if only to give the listener another voice to listen to for a while. All right. Then. <laughs> so, Fabio Paratici on Friday evening, the club confirmed that Fabio Paratici will be stepping back from his duties pending the outcome of his, of his appeal against his ban from football, which is due to be heard on April the 19th. 
This followed FIFA issuing a statement on Wednesday that they'd agreed to a request from the Italian FA to extend, extend his ban worldwide. And in what must have been an eventful week for Fabio, on Tuesday night, the club released a video from Paratici where he spoke about the Conte situation uh, from what looked like some kind of dingy hotel room uh, somewhere around the world phone, you know, uh, on his phone. <laughs> it, 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 for a man in his situation, it looked like he was on the run from Interpol and trying to grab a quick like message back home <laughs> while, whilst he, he, he was he looked, there. He looked like a middle-aged man who'd been cooped up in a hotel room for so long. And if it had panned out, you would have seen his Corby trouser press having been taken apart. <laughs> a bit, a bit Alan Partridge. Yeah, def- definitely. Yeah, he definitely wasn't going to open the top drawer under his um, under the cabinet, was he? <laughs> so anyway, the question. This is a right fucking mess, isn't it? Steph, do you want to kick us off? Aha! Uh-huh. Well, let me do my very, very best Alan Partridge impression to say that it is an absolute mess. And uh, no, I'll stop. I don't have it in me Please. today. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it is a right fucking mess. I mean, look, I, <laughs> no names, but whoever is responsible for directing the communications and public you know, PR for our club needs needs to be given a severe dressing down. Number one, the way they have com- repeatedly failed to take on the long-term objective of what the club message should be is, is just it, – it's beyond my comprehension mm-hmm. for a business as big as this business is. I mean, as a business, I mean, let's take a football club out of it. You would never behave like this. And then to, to get down to this micro moment, you know, uh, keep him on keep, – keep him in a hotel room in Kirby with his Corby trouser press and don't let him out and don't let him near a microphone. It didn't need to happen. So what moron – at the club, decided that this was a smart move. And I repeat, what moron decided this was a smart move? I mean, I, I don't care what he has or hasn't done, but no one gets to, no one deserves to be sent to Corby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I agree with you. I think in terms of crisis management, regardless of, again, what he hasn't, hasn't done, whilst he's in the current situation, putting him up for media duties is, is, is asking for trouble. You're just make, you're just putting yourself in that situation. And you know, keep him in a back room, keep him away from people. Well, actually, no. I mean, what should have happened is the decision, the announcement was made on Friday. Should have been made in January when he was when he yes. first, um, or, or mm. when the whole of Juventus's board resigned last winter. He should have gone at the same time, yes. realizing that actually they were doing that as a face save, you know, as a protect to protect the club. If they're protecting Juve, why, you know, why can't he do the same for us? So I think that those are the two points where something could have happened. And the fact that neither him nor the club decided to act in those situations is is just crazy. Just just to be a bit contrary, um, I mean, first of all, for any there will be some real avid Alan Partridge fans on this. So I should say just on, on behalf of the podcast that we do know that although it was a Corby trouser press, the actual travel mm. lodge that he was staying in was in the Lin- was in Linton, which is mm. equidistance between London and Norwich. But anyway, let's get that one. Um, I, I'm just going to say, I, I'm getting, yeah, we're devil's advocate, whatever it is. I can say that I've got a little bit of sympathy for the club because I, I think that the announcement, in fact, it wasn't even an announcement that mm. came out of FIFA was so incredibly clumsy. I mean, it sounded like someone from the Guardian rang up FIFA and it happened to be the kid on work experience who picked up the call and happened to pick up a file that wasn't ready to go out to media yet and, and read the conclusion from from that. Um, so, I mean, I do think if, if, if and this is a big if, if, Levy and Paratici have had the conversation and Paratici said to him, said, no, I'm definitely innocent. There is nothing here. It's going to go to an appeal and I'm going to be absolutely fine. Then maybe the, the club are right to say, well, look, okay, we'll wait for it to go to the appeal. And then they've been um, sidelined by the fact that this clumsy announcement press release reveal came out in the way that it did and when it did. I mean, I think you're right about the Guardian point. It's it, really strange. It, it does sound like the Guardian phoned them up and they went, well, it's here somewhere. Um, uh, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, we better do something about that. It's been at the bottom of my entry. And mm. it, it, I think in terms of Paratici, you know, if he wins on a, his appeal, then I, th- I think what we should have done is back in January said, you know, when he's decided to appeal it, say he's going to step down so he can focus on that and – you know, and then at that point, if he wins his appeal, then you know he can come back. But I think it's probably worth it's probably worth detailing. There are three different cases here, as so I've seen some reporting where people are mixing these up, mixing the different cases or the different investigations up. So you've got the civil case, so the Italian FA charges, which is the ones that were announced in January, which he's appealing in two weeks' time. At the beginning of last week, there was meant to be 
a preliminary hearing in the criminal case, which I think at the moment is against Juventus, and that's because Juventus are a publicly listed company, and effectively by um, kind of falsifying the the books or lying about that, that can affect the share value. So I think that's the case there, and we don't know yet whether Paratici is personally going to be um, facing you know, prosecution there, or whether that's as part of Juventus or quite what's coming out of that. And then on top of that, there's all uh, so and, and the hearing for that now is in May. But that's the preliminary hearing going back, which I th- which would really be a position, you know, a decision on whether it's going to go to court. And then UEFA also got their own investigation, which presumably will be under FFP, and whether um, UEFA's actions were to kind of get around FFP, and, and which that can also mean sanctions against individuals as well as the club. So yeah, there's three different different cases he's facing, charges he's facing. So. Yeah, and I mean, and thank you for breaking that down because it is, as you um, said in the notes, a right fucking mess. And so that helps clarify <laughs> exactly what fucking mess we're talking about. Or mess is, it's plural. They're right, these are right fucking messes, aren't they? Might be the right thing, but you know, just to hone in on the point of the of the of the of court, you know, the Guardian calling the 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 kid at FIFA or UEFA FIFA, sorry, uh, you know, and, and getting us uh, possibly. But number one, we should be on top of this. You know, mm-hmm. we should be we should be the ones making that phone call regularly to try and find out. You don't sit back. We're dealing with we're dealing with FIFA for Christ's sake, who haven't exactly shown themselves to be the greatest communicators or guardians of the game, have they? I mean, so if we're relying on them to keep us informed about, you know, I I think that's a sh- I think that's shambolic. That being said, the kid from the Guardian stumbled upon it. Even there, don't say anything. You don't have to say anything. Don't. Why bother calling FIFA? At that point, wait for them to call you, and then when they call you, say, well, this is completely inappropriate, then you have something to say. The, the, what they ended up saying made them look like they were covering their asses. I mean, a hundred. It was, it was poor. I think you're a bit out with the sequencing, actually, Steph. So what happened was the Guardian piece itself said that they phoned up FIFA to ask what was happening. Yes. After that, FIFA confirmed that he had been banned worldwide and the club received notification from FIFA at that point. And what the club was asking FIFA was, what does this mean? What does it cover? So they were seeking clarification on what's covered by that ban because that wasn't in the FIFA communique at that point. Right. So FIFA communicated with us after their, you know, their intern, whatever, dropped the ball to the Guardian journalist. And it was an internal communication, I presume, right? They contacted the club and said this. What appears to have triggered it is the Guardian phoned up saying, the Italian FA asked you to ban him worldwide back in January. You know, what's going on? And they were, I I think the response from FIFA was like, fuck, we forgot about that. We better ban him worldwide. Or it appears to be in in response to that Guardian request. And then they they faxed the club or emailed the club or whatever saying, oh, by the way, he's banned worldwide. I guess my point is, and I throw this as a question, until FIFA make a press declaration, a press statement, officially, press release saying... Fabio Paratici is banned worldwide as of. Why, why are we commenting? Well, because we've received, we have received formal notification that he's banned worldwide. I, I still found the statement to be uh, incredibly rash and incredibly poorly prepared. And I think the problem is, is that that came out at 10 o'clock at night or whenever it was after the Guardian story had broken that morning. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think realistically, what, you know, anything like this, you try and, you try and manage proactively. And the, the time to deal, deal with it proactively was back in January. Time, we had missed that boat so badly. But even in missing that, we still end up scrambling and chasing our own tails in an amateur fashion, in my opinion. And, you know, look, we go back again, as you say, there's two stages of being proactive there, of course. And I, you know, you don't put him out to make big statements on no. what's happening for the rest of the season. No. But, you know, it, it is it is very interesting. And that's maybe the biggest problem I had with the statement that came after the Guardian thing and after we got the notification is it seemed more like giving the club giving themselves an excuse for having put Paratici up for the video interview in the hotel room in Corby with his Kirby press or Kirby with his Corby, Winter. wherever it was. I'm sorry, Alan. Um, you know, whatever that was. It seemed more like an apology for that than for not being on top of anything. It was, it was, it just came across as like, you know, the reason we put him up to do the interview is because nobody told us that he couldn't. It's like, no, you got it wrong. <laughs> Even if he wasn't on these charges, that video was on the night before was bloody awful. My local non-league yeah. team that has be- <laughs> you know, higher production values on their social media content than that. It looks yes. so tin pot and. You know, given the situation, it shouldn't be him. You know, given 
the situation he's in, he shouldn't have been put up. Given that we'd only sacked our manager, you know, a couple of days before that, you know, it should be the chairman or someone, you know, someone else coming up and explaining that, and you know, particularly in this situation. And it just appears that the boards hide, and they're, they're, they're like, absolutely, who, who can we, who can we put up? Who can we put up? You know, you know, Stellini's having to stand up and take questions on this thing. You know, Conte's moaned, Conte's moaned about this mm. before. <clears throat> yeah, and you know, or you know, Paratici. Yeah, it's just. Mm. But you mentioned hiding, and you're absolutely right. This board has does hide and does hide and and try and cover its own ass. But this board hides behind, like you know, a sapling tree. You know, it's an elephant hiding behind a sapling tree. You can see it. You're not doing a good job concealing yourself, and they try and cover their own ass with what's a rather large band aid, as opposed to yeah. a pair of like trousers or shorts or something like that. They they, they can't even do that right. That's what's really frustrating. Well, I think I mean I think it's an important thing that we're discussing here, and I don't think we're airing anything that many people don't don't agree with. Is that you know whoever's doing the comms at our club needs. To, I think look, I don't think they. Sh- I think they should be uh, politely put on gardening leave from it, and we should bring someone in who actually understands what era of of, of public communications and PR that we're in. And I think that's the issue, isn't it? It's kind of, it kind of feels twenty years out of date. You know, we're in a twenty four hour news cycle now with social media, and everyone you. Know, you can't a story runs away from you before yeah. before you've started with it now and you just have to be a lot slicker a lot more professional a lot more on top of it and a lot more proactive mm-hmm. in terms of how you do it and big you know decent firms who are good at this kind of stuff it there, there's a dialogue there's an engagement there's a discussion yes. there's you know there's a narrative that you're trying to set and trying to manage yeah. and we just don't do any of those kind of things no and it goes back to, I think it goes back to when you have a very, very firm club identity, it's far mm-hmm. easier to set out what your message to, to the to the world is because it's dictated by the the ethos that your club is running on. And this mm-hmm. is where we're back to a very central uh, issue that I think we all agree that we have that, you know, nobody really seems clear on what what we are as a fo- as, as a football club at this point and that mm-hmm. starts at the top and again that's a discussion we'll doubtless have at the end of the season we'll, we'll, we'll maybe leave it there um hey i know hey week that was but i did think it, it i think it's good we had this discussion i think it's an important one yeah. it um, feels like we're discussing the lifetime that was though didn't it every week at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no no doubt the, the life we're living that is it's oh, like I don't know. Anyway, hope, anyway, hope, hope when you die, your life doesn't flash in front of you because I really don't want to see this season <laughs> again. <laughs> well, if it does, hopefully this bit goes really, really, really fast. You know? <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Oh dear. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> you reminded me. Actually, did you go? Did either of you ever watch the series Six Feet Under? No. Uh, it's a brilliant show. It's about a family of, of undertakers, actually. But they, their final ever episode, it was, a, it, was a, it was an American, I think it was on Showtime, their final ever episode was an hour, and it was basically you saw all the main characters' lives on fast forward through that. And when you said that, it just made me think of being of six feet under. And anyway, Richarlison. <laughs> oh, move us on. Richarlison, uh, in the week that was, responded to suggestions from an Argentinian journalist that he was a ringleader in a player revolt against Antonio Conte. He said, this is Richarlison uh, said, questioning and criticizing me as a player for my performance is part of football, and I got it. However, telling lies about me, I don't accept. I've always had a lot of respect for Conte and for all my coaches. He helped me a lot in my coming to the Spurs, and whenever we had a problem, even if it was public... <laughs> Uh, that's a good one we solved it based on conversation and professionalism and this he can confirm i wasn't a mutiny leader against him it was quite the opposite i'm sorry i didn't deliver as much as he expected of me and i didn't do enough for him to stay when he left i sent him a message thanking him for everything and deserve and wishing him the best because that's what he deserves on the other hand the journalist responsible for this awful lie did not even do the least which would have been talking to my pr or listening to me Bad professional and bad character, and shame on you, TYC Sports or Tyke Sports. And it should be said that Christian Romero also came out and said something quite similar because he was another uh, on another end of that sort of like player mutiny gets rid of Conti stick. It was the same. It was the same Argentinian uh, station that said said that about Romero. It was the ah, same story. Mm, there we are. So um, yeah, I mean, yes, thoughts. Yeah, it's all still storming a tea teacup, isn't it? It's semantics mm. and it's um, two. People being quoted for things in their second language. Richarlison said he's having a shit season, and Conte says yes, he is having a shit season. He didn't say he's shit or he's been shit this season, mm. and it's all 
escalated from that. It's 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 all something and nothing. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a bit harsh on all the players. You know, we sat, we sat Conte during the international break, and they're going to get questions about it from you know local media and stuff like that. Stories spin out of that. Um, yeah, I would say good on him for putting it on the record. I mean, you know, whether whether it's true or not, I don't know. But yeah, good luck to him. I like yeah, Richarlison. I, I like Richarlison. He's one of my favourite players. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. I think uh, I, I think it's good to see both him and Romero come out and uh, and and respond pretty quickly uh, to to press rubbish. Maybe they should but, do our press office. Maybe we get them in there doing <laughs> rebuttals because they're a lot quicker than our lot. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Well, exactly. That that proactive, as you say, they're right on it. Yeah, very good. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I, it's. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've got got visions of Richarlison in the press office now, tweeting out cry more uh, memes to, to journalists criticizing us. Oh, I'd love to see him say, yeah, responding to Matt Law every time he sends a like, writes a negative article for the Telegraph on us, like, giving it giving it to him. Matt. Matt Law, you just mentioned something that before we go, I am going to bring up, and this will be. Um, and I know that you know. I, I know that Matt, Matt Law is in your Matt Law is in your in your focus. Well, I know, quite rightly so. He's a tosser. Respond, respond to him about four times a week, <laughs> taking the piss out of him. Yeah, there we go. There we go. But I, let, let's 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 end the show thinking about this. I mean, we're we're doing this as a hot take off the back of a a result that was, you know, pretty poor. However, it did give us a point. That point does keep us or put us in the top four, albeit on goal difference. Chelsea have sacked their second manager of the season, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Liverpool are floundering in in the mid-table. I'm sure I'm missing another crisis club in there somewhere. I'm sure there's somebody else. Man United have done fuck all since they won the... um, The League Cup. Yeah, uh, Eric, League Forms, Eric, uh, Forms falling <clears throat> to pieces. Yeah, yeah. Eric Ten Hag is sort of hopping around and getting angry just because they're, they're losing games and having to be set, you know, held back by Steve McLaren, mm-hmm. uh, which is in itself almost a Partridge-esque uh, scene uh, <laughs> of, 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 of parody. Uh, you know, yet we are copying it. Now, I, I suppose I would have to say, you know, probably well-deserved. I do think things have been shambolic, but, you know, that's for a while. But in the context of this season, 2022-23, you know, are we really the most in-crisis club in the in, in the Premiership? I mean, let alone in football, when you look at, like, I mean, look at, I mean Chelsea's situation is absurd. Mm-hmm. They followed our pattern. We got there and says, why are we the whipping post? Given that we are supposedly and statistically and factually right now, as we talk, the fourth best team in the country. Mm. No laughing at the back. (laughs) I I think the rational answer to that is that we're just so much closer to it and we're so sensitive to anything that's said about us. We we don't pick up on all the things that are spoken about in other clubs. I mean, you think about the crisis that United were supposedly in two games into the season when they got stuffed at Brentford and lost at home to Brighton. Um, For Chelsea, yeah, second two managers in a season. Um, It just goes back to that cliche isn't it it's 20 it's 2023 Tottenham Hotspur are always the punchline yeah I think also once narratives get established you see them through so I think this narrative arc continues and you know with the press until a new manager's in um at the first sign of trouble with them it might get um resurrected it depends on how we get through that um I think also as a club we probably haven't got many friends in the media I think um no that's very very true we don't have many friends in football and uh, you know sometimes you know yeah, maybe as a result of that, there you know, can't wait to put the boot in. I have to end with a fictional question. It wouldn't be fun if I didn't. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to give you each the choice. I, I can make this happen because I am actually um, unknown to either of you, a, a super god when it comes to shifting the pieces in the Premiership. I can give you Todd Bowley as the new Tottenham Hotspur chairman, or you can stick with Daniel Levy. What's your choice? I'd stick. I yeah, I'll definitely stick with Daniel Levy. I, I'm, I'm no, I'm no fan of of Levy or the, you know, how the club's being run. But um, what's happening at Chelsea? I, I mean, I, firstly, I think it's obscene. Um, but also, uh, that's you know, just spending money willy nilly and is not actually backing managers. I, I really feel sorry for Potter with what's happened there because I think he was given an impossible situation. He's got more club, more players than they can register. They're buying players because the chairman wants them, not because the manager wants them. I think that's an impossible situation. Um, and I, you know, so yeah, it, it just awful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think that, uh, again, we're back to my favorite word of this week's episode, which is moron. Those morons who think that Graham Potter, you know, should have done way better um, because he got backed in the transfer window. Well, <laughs> yeah, quite. When half the players that you're given that you didn't ask for aren't registered. And when the player that's probably making the most difference to your season, you don't even have a buy option on at the end of it. Um, I, I, th- I think you can consider yourself extremely unlucky. I think they're left with 41 first-team players when their loanies return in the summer. Obscene is the word. Obscene is the word. And chaps, uh, thank you for joining us. I would like to end on that on that phrase that Chelsea's uh, operations in football are, are obscene, if only because it reminds me that however bad it might feel at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, it is always worse somewhere else, whether we <laughs> like to admit it or not. And yeah, it is. So, yeah. Thank you again. Cheers, Steph. <laughs> Next week, Cheers. we'll be back to discuss what is suddenly a fixture of several layers of intrigue, uh, given our interest in Deserby. Brighton at home, Saturday, 3pm kickoff. Gareth delighted, rubbing his hands in glee. What, gentlemen, could possibly go wrong? See you next week.